2: money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Jeff Mills, Bono and Eisen and Brian Kelly will join us in moments. Tonight on Fast, why the pop in Pfizer on positive vaccine news may be. Overdone. Plus, Disney World reopening its doors in Orlando. We will talk to one visitor who was there on opening day. And you loved it so much, we're bringing it back. Total request, fast money. Send us your questions. We may answer them live on air. But we begin with a major market reversal today. Stocks tumbling in the last hour of trade to close near their lows of the session. The Nasdaq dropping more than 2% after hitting another all-time high earlier in the session. The sell-off coming as California Governor Gavin Newsom rolled back reopening plans as coronavirus uh, cases spiked in the state. Bars, gyms, salons, malls, other businesses ordered to close indoor operations in 30 counties. That represents 80% of the state's population. So does this officially put a close on the reopening rally, Guy?
3: Well, I don't know if, the, you know, again, I don't know if this was a rally on the reopening or hopes that there was some um, a vaccine out there or the fact that the Fed is backstopping this entire thing, but. I'll play your reindeer game, Mel, and say this was the reopening rally. It, I, I'm, I'm shocked that people are surprised that the mm-hmm. reopening is not going as well as a lot of people were, were indicating it would. Uh, so it should put an end to it because on top of that, as we just talked about earlier, or, or Sarah and Wolf just talked about, you had one of the biggest reversals in the market we've seen in quite some time now. It looks to me eerily similar to some of the moves we saw in mid to late March, obviously when the market was on the downside of things. And the fact that the VIX at 10 a.m. was turning positive, and I actually tweeted about that, that to me was the things that make you go hum moment of the day.
2: Jeff Mills, how do you process the reclosing of California? I mean, California is a very large economy. It means uh, a great deal to the United States overall for GDP. And here it is shutting back down.
4: Yeah, and, and part of the market action today just doesn't make me feel good in general, but it's what we've been dealing with for months now. In the morning, the market's way up on these vaccine hopes, and then you get the opposite news in the afternoon and you have a big sell-off. But I think if you look under the surface, you have certain positive elements. You had PMIs rising, you had good employment data. But if you look under the surface in those elements, I think the market was telling you that we were going to have a problem. PMIs rising. Typically, you'll see cyclicals start to participate. They were moving in the opposite direction. The labor market, we added almost 5 million jobs in June. 40% of those jobs were leisure and hospitality. So, Given all these closings that we're now having, what does that mean for July numbers? So I think that you have to look under the surface, and all of these elements have been telling us that we're going to have a hard time moving higher, at least in a straight line here. And we talked about the technicals and the momentum of the market. You had 95 96% of stocks trading above their 50-day. But over the past couple of weeks, that has fallen to about 50 or 60%. So you've had this correction ongoing under the surface for a while now, and now I think it's just bubbling up to the surface. So I've been cautious for a while, and now I think we're seeing it today. We'll see if it sticks. I don't know if this is the end of the trade, but again, I do think we're going to have a problem moving higher in a straight line.
2: But when Guy had mentioned things that make you go, hmm... Uh, here's a behind the scenes look at what goes on in Fast Money in the planning of this program. We have a 1230 conference call. And on that 1230 conference call, when the markets were higher, Guy and I believe BK also flagged a VIX that was rising. Bonwin, at that time you said not a big deal. But here we are. We did have a major reversal. Looking back, what do you think?
1: Uh, you know, I'm going to stick to my guns here. I mean, I, uh, the point that I was making was that the market, uh, the VIX was implying about a 1.8, 1.7% move and we were up about 1.4%. So there's only really a 30 basis point spread there. And while I understand that the VIX is often referred to as a fear index, in reality, it's a volatility index. It's tracking whether we're up up or down the, the amplitude of that move. And to me, it seemed pretty much in line. And, and all the other points that, that Mills um, you know, uh, and my guy Guy has made, like, definitely, like, there's all of these undertones that you really need to be aware of. If you think that we're going to continue to climb unabated without any hiccups, I just feel like you've been missing the entire party. The fact that we've been able to continue to rally despite all of those things and the VIX now indicates that there is, you know, a bit more volatility in the market, I don't think that's news at all.
2: Uh, We're having some difficulty with Brian Kelly's shot. It's not that I don't want to get his input. But, Guy, I'll go to you because we mentioned some of the major reversals within the markets. We had a number of stocks, big cap tech stocks, hitting new highs in today's session and then quickly giving those up. Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Tesla, uh, just to name a few. Is that troubling? I mean, this is the area of the market that you wanted to be in because you didn't know what – this year's growth was going to be. You didn't know what next year's growth was going to be, but you knew what these companies' growth would be two years, three years, four years, five five years down the line, and interest rates are low right now.
3: Is it troubling? Yes, it is. Is Is it is it predictable that I would say that? Absolutely it is. So folks at home are saying, of course, Mel, Guy's going to answer that way. But if you're just being agnostic and just looking at the day's price action, it absolutely is troubling. Dan Nathan mentioned this to me. And it's something I brought up on the show last week. I think today is July 13th. Prior to today, I think Friday of last week, Amazon alone had added almost a quarter of a trillion dollars to its own market cap. And there are only 22 stocks in the S&P 500 that have a market cap that large. I mean, it makes, if you really think about it intuitively, it makes absolutely no sense other than the fact that the Fed has flooded this system with liquidity. And I agree with what Bono said 100%. But if you were to ask a Fed official that focuses on these things, and I'm sure most of them do, I think they'd be shocked that on July 13th, given the amount of money they've poured into the system, the volatility index stands at 32. Um, I think their hopes and dreams would be volatility would be tapered down, the market would be moving up in a measured way, and we'd be seeing you know, evolve closer to 17 instead of 30 to 35.
2: I believe BK is with us. We'll try and go to you, BK. What's your thoughts on the, on the reversal we saw today?
5: Yep, I'm here. I hope you can hear me. And uh, yeah, listen, I mean, the way that some of these NASDAQ stocks have been trading, it's exactly what a top looks like, like a blow off top. So I don't know if this is the absolute top, But I do know when assets go up 60 percent in 10 days, that's a blow off top. And that's what Tesla did. And as much as you can like Tesla and as much as you can say, hey, this is the the wave of the future. It's going to decarbonize the electric grid. When something goes up by 60 percent, that is a crazy type of thing. So we had that reversal today. Now we have to figure out what does a thing look like. And frankly, I'm not sure yet, but the
2: market's going to shoot first and ask questions later. All right. Meantime, we do have companies responding to the surge in COVID cases we are seeing across the country. Late day developments from Yum and others. Kate Rogers got the latest. Kate.
6: Hey, Melissa. Well, Reuters is reporting that Yum Brands KFC will be closing dining rooms at company-owned stores in Florida, offering drive through service only. The story cites a letter to Yum's KFC franchisees, and it also suggests that the franchisees strongly consider reclosing restaurants for dine-in service in Arizona, California, Florida, and Texas. Yum Brands also owns Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and Habit Burger. We have reached out to the company for comment, but have not yet heard back. This is not the only major chain we've seen taking steps in recent days to prevent the spread of COVID-19. McDonald's decided to hit pause on reopening its dining rooms on July 2nd, taking a breather for three weeks to see what happens with cases across the country. Starbucks also last week saying that beginning on July 15th this week, customers will be required to wear face coverings when entering company-owned cafes. Workers have been wearing them for some time at Starbucks. And our own CNBC and Change research uh, polling shows that among likely voters nationwide, right now, Melissa, only about 38 percent, percent of respondents said that they feel safe to go into a restaurant and have dine-in service at this stage of the outbreak. And that number has been dropping every time we've asked. Back over to you. Okay. All
2: right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers at the latest there. Okay. And, and Jeff, I'll go to you on this. Uh, you know, this goes to the point of we had seen better trends because there were reopenings across the country. But once we get reclosings, will those numbers reverse as well?
4: Yeah, that's what I've been afraid of, quite frankly. And I pointed to this before when talking about the airlines, but anything where you're going to get a high beta to this reopening trade. So young Brands included, maybe not as bad, but when you talk about airlines, casinos, cruise lines, whatever it is, They're trading at a correlation of close to one. The charts almost look exactly the same. So you haven't been and you probably won't continue to get idiosyncratic individual exposure by investing in those names. You're investing in the reopening. So when you see numbers spike, when you see people pulling back and withdrawing again a little bit, I think obviously those are the names that are going to get hit. And I also do think that you have to worry a little bit about what's been going on in tech as well. So the question is, where do you go? You know, you think about Carter may have talked about this on the show, but you think about the top three stocks, You know, Amazon, um, Apple, and Microsoft, you've got 70% of the S&P 500 right there. You add Google and Facebook, you're at 25%. So you have vulnerability in this, these concentrated areas that have been safe, but then you also have vulnerability in some of these cyclicals that have baited to the reopening. So it's, it's tough right now.
2: We didn't, I don't know if we got the answer. Where do you go, <laughs> Bono? And I think that's, that's sort of the question that investors face in a day like today when you see these major reversals in big cap technology, the supposed, supposed safe haven, and then you see the reopening trade, those hopes getting dashed uh, in today's trade. So, so what, is, what is that answer in your view?
1: Um, I mean, I think the market's been taking it, t- telling us it's really not my view. It's, it's the market's view, which is large cap tech. And I, I will expand on that a little bit. And I'll say some of the chip stocks as well. I mean, frankly, some of them are, are quite cheap, trading in mid-teens uh, to, to low 20s in terms of uh, price-to-earnings. And then, if you if you if you really do want to believe in the the economy reopening, chips are are imp- excuse me, chips are included in everything from. You know, technological advancements to cars, to medical devices. I mean, if you really want to diversify and still express that view in just a single name, that's where I'd look next.
2: All right. Well, today's reversal comes as companies get ready to report second quarter earnings. Consensus is that 2Q will be the trough. But with reclosings mounting, is there actually more pain ahead? Julian Emanuel is the chief equity and derivative strategist at BTIG. Julian, great to have you with us.
7: Great to be with you. Um,
2: Second quarter, even the conference calls, do you think we're going to get any answers? I mean, we had Pepsi report earnings better than expected. The stock was up for some time, but there was still no guidance on the rest of the year.
7: It's kind of naive for investors, and I know this has been a narrative of the last week or so, to expect firm guidance. I mean, simply if you look at today, you know, the California rollback escalation of tensions with China, whether you're a domestic oriented uh, company or you're an exporter. uh, And a lot of these technology companies have China exposure. It's just not going to happen. The the uncertainty level, again, as reflected by the uh, is telling us that there is a range of outcomes that is much wider than normal and that clarity is something that's likely not to happen until we get more medical news or until we see how schools in particular reopen across the country.
2: I mentioned that consensus is that the second quarter will be the worst. Are you in that consensus or do you think that there is still the possibility that we have not seen the worst when it comes to the decline in earnings?
7: No, we're, we're in that consensus, but, but the difference is, and I think this goes to the heart of the discussion in terms of sectors and, and, and so on, is that, you know, you look at something like the technology stocks, what they seem to be pricing in is a V-shaped recovery, as opposed to the cyclicals and financials in particular, which are really pricing in a continuation of both an economic recession and an earnings recession, which we think the, the reality is, is, is somewhere in between.
3: Hey, Julian, it's Guy. Obviously, thanks for being here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. I think Goldman Sachs upgraded their earnings forecast for this year for the S&P 500 from 110, I believe, to 115. But they said, I think 2022, they expect $170 of earnings. Is that um, where do you come down? Basically, does 2021 matter? I think it does. But where do you see 2022 potential earnings?
7: Uh, look, so the, the question is, is 2022 the year, and, and we would take exception to the 2021 number, we're at 152, and if you recall, 2019 was peak at 163. The question is, when do you return to peak? We expect that's likely in 2022. Um, 2020 doesn't matter, but the real question is: is, you know, again, what is the range of outcomes when thinking about 2021, um, and from our point of view, you know, again, the longer the, the, the economy starts to sort of stutter and, and, and there are more shutdowns, the more that 2021 uh, becomes an issue. Uh, we don't necessarily see, uh, a, you know, less than two-sided risk either up or down here, but you could get that way depending on how reopening goes into the fall.
2: What's the risk-reward to investing in the NASDAQ right now, Julian, given that we're only a couple percent off from record highs?
7: Well, look, in in the long term, and again, you know, this is thinking out 12 months, we see new highs in the S&P 500, likely accompanied by the NASDAQ. But in in the near term and the medium term, there's a lot of risk in, in the NASDAQ. Because, again, simply whether you measure it in terms of valuation difference. Or the concentration, we've all been talking about the FANG stocks, their representation, you know, outside in the S&P 500. There's probably a good 10 percent downside in in the near term here, we think.
2: Ten percent downside in the near term. All right, Julian, thank you. Always great to speak with you. Julian Emanuel of BTIG. Jeff Mills, can you see that 10 percent downside in the near term?
4: Sure. I mean, it's obviously hard to predict exactly what's going to happen, and the the whole sector's obviously been a juggernaut. But at the same time, to my point earlier, you have such a concentration there... Where if you do get a hiccup and all of a sudden you get risk aversion associated with tech, you have further to fall. So I think that's really the key right now. And, you know, I'm not particularly a fan of value at the very moment. But if you look at the spread between value and growth from on a P.E. perspective, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You're talking about 98th, 99th percentile readings, whether you're talking about price to book, price to sales, price to earnings, whatever it is. So the gap there and if all of a sudden investors aren't willing to speculate in tech, you could certainly see a 10 percent fall very easily.
2: All right. Let's get to another test for the markets. Bank earnings in focus this week. J.P. Morgan, Citi, Wells Fargo kicking things off tomorrow. Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America on deck later in the week. Dividend announcements, credit risks, the impact of historically low interest rates are just a few key issues Wall Street will be looking for in these results. Um, Guy, what are you going to be focusing on? You've been pretty clear that you don't particularly like the banks here, but you do like Wells.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm looking for for a trade, yes, obviously loan loss provisions is number one on everybody's list. But, you know, what I want to hear, because then I can start to do the math, is if tell me, assuming it's correct, tell me what your tangible book is, what if you're a bank and I'll tell you where I think the stock should go. And we played that out with J.P. Morgan uh, when it was an eighty five dollar stock. And we tried to explain to people how at a sixty two dollar tangible book. If you gave them a 1.8, 1.85 multiple on that, you have a $115 stock. And if you look and saw where J.P. Morgan recently topped out at, it was exactly at 115 So what I'm looking for is loan loss provision one and tell me what your tangible book is two. And with those two, I should be able to tell you where I think the stocks
1: are going.
2: For a trade, Bonoin. do you like any of the financials?
1: Um, I do. Um, Quite frankly, I would be looking at the the large money center banks and the broker-dealers. In addition to to the points that Guy laid out, I'm also looking at uh, trading and fee generation. Those are really going to be core uh, tenants of those particular banks that we're not seeing in the regional space. So I like the money center banks, the large BDs, bulge brackets, vis-a-vis the the regional banks. Um, XLF, via (laughs) visa, visa visa, KBW, for example.
2: All right. Uh, Carter Braxton Worth, our friend who who recently joined Twitter, tweeted this morning. and I know you all caught this. Um, Today, we speculate on financials playing for a prospective bounce in a concomitant period of relative strength to SPX. We recommend XLF to express this view. Speaking of value, Jeff Mills, this has got to be it. Value sector um, du jour. Do you like this one, though?
4: so i read carter's research and i saw that report come out this morning and i think for a trade i don't necessarily disagree look this is all about expectations and for financials now you're talking about lagging the broad market by 30 or 40 percent you're trading at a nine times p e ratio and carter made the point on the technicals you're you're probing the relative lows that we made in in 2009 just as an example so i could certainly see a pop heading into earnings just because expectations are so poor. But longer term, I just think the rate environment is going to be such a headwind. And even though, even though the Fed doesn't affect long-term rates as much as short-term rates, I think still you're going to have a hard time seeing a yield curve steepen. Uh, I was looking at the copper-gold ratio as an example. Typically, as that moves higher, which it has, you will see rates follow along. What has developed is this huge gap between that ratio and the 10-year Treasury, as an example. So rates are just anchored, even on the long end. And I think ultimately that's going to be tough for banks.
2: Not too many individuals can get concomitant. Into a tweet these days. So I applaud Carter Worth not only for his research but also for his vocabulary. Um, Let's get to a market flash here on Mohawk Industries. Frank Collins got the story. Hey, Frank.
8: Hey there, Melissa. Shares of Mohawk Industries down more than 6% as the Flooring and Lumber Company issues a release about a federal complaint alleging the company fabricated revenues, overreported sales, and committed fraud in various parts of its financial reporting. Both the company and CEO Jeff Loberbaum are named in this complaint. Mohawk says it is cooperating with this investigation. Again, the company and CEO named in a federal complaint alleging fraud in financial reporting. Shares of Mohawk Industries down right around 6% right now after hours. Back over to you.
2: All right, Frank, thank you. Frank Holland. Coming up, banks aren't the only names reporting tomorrow. Why one option trader seems to think the pain is only just getting started for Delta. But first, there were a few green errors in today's market. But is the news for coronavirus vaccine really as good as the market thinks? Fast Money's back in two.
9: We've got some breaking
2: news on SoftBank. Frank Collins got the story. Frank.
8: And hey they're most absolutely right. Breaking news on SoftBank. The company uh, is exploring alternatives, including a full or partial sale or possibly a public offering of British chip designer Arm Holdings. That's according to Dow Jones and sources for the Dow Jones. According to these sources, uh, the company is willing to do any one of those things for a company it bought for uh, thirty two billion dollars just four years ago. Right now, this deal is being reviewed by Goldman Sachs and SoftBank says or sources say that SoftBank may not do anything with Arm Holdings. Again, a company it bought four years ago for thirty two billion dollars. This is the latest sale attempt by SoftBank. You have to remember, just a few weeks ago, it sold its majority stake in T-Mobile for $20 billion. Uh, again, reviewing a possible sale or a partial sale of uh, Arm Holdings, a $32 billion chipmaker that it bought four years ago. Shares of SoftBank, up 40% on the year. Back over to you.
2: Frank, thank you. Frank Holland, and of course, this comes uh, the day ADI announces its deal with Maxim Guy for $21 billion. So news on the chip front all around a um, good time to sell yeah. a chip unit?
3: Well, think of it. You know, it's interesting. So this is how my mind works. And I'm sure a lot of people are saying to themselves it actually does work. But it does. <laughs> and I'll tell you how. If SoftBank, you know, if they're getting rid of assets, you know, Frank mentioned they sold some of the T-Mobile stake. And there's some, what does that tell you? What do they see that the rest of us seemingly don't see? So I, I, I take it as not particularly bullish that they're looking for opportunities to sell things rather than add to. And if I'm wrong, it won't be the first time. But that's how I look at this news from Frank.
2: All right. Well, we got a slew of positive news on the coronavirus vaccine front, sending stocks higher earlier in the day. Let's get to Meg Terrell for the latest. Meg. We actually lost Meg, but basically uh, Pfizer and BioNTech, uh, two candidates out of their four candidates getting FDA fast track designation um in, And we saw the stocks jump, particularly uh, BioNTech, but also Pfizer, the big cap company uh, jumping as well today on this news. Meg, though, points out earlier that the FDA would grant fast track approval to any drug or m- many drugs that treat things with pressing needs like coronavirus. So I'm, I'm wondering what you make of this news here.
1: You know, I think it's uh, further evidence that we continue to trade on news and trends um, as opposed to fundamentals. And right now, as you said, there is a pressing need. We have a pandemic outbreak um, and, you know, we're going to allocate or the FDA is going to allocate resources to putting an end to that. With that said, in terms of what that means for sales going on a go forward basis, you know, if you're looking at companies really going forward now, we've scrapped 2020 perhaps the first half of 2021. We're looking forward to 2021, 2022. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball and I can't tell you what that's going to mean in terms of uh, sell and allocation out that far. But again, uh, my takeaway is that it is once again, um, uh, you know, testament to us trading news as opposed to uh, uh, real concrete evidence at, at the moment.
2: At the same time, Jeff, you know, somebody at home might think, oh, you know, Pfizer, it's, it's got part of this COVID treatment thing going forward. But it's also a big cap pharma stock, which is, uh, you know, a- a pretty blue chip.
4: Yeah, no question about it. But you, as, as it relates to moves uh, associated with the headlines, I don't think you can buy these names just because you get one headline about a vaccine. I just think there are so many questions in terms of how profitable is that vaccine going to be. There are other companies working on this too. So what horse do you pick and who ends up winning? I think overall as a sector, I like biotech. I think it was my final trade a couple of weeks ago, and it looks to be breaking out after really treading water for four or five years. So I think you can play it on a sector basis. But if you're trying to pick individual names because of a vaccine trial, I just think that's so hard. Moderna got an upgrade today from Jeffries, for an example, and they basically came out in the note and said, look, we're rolling a dice on the vaccine. We think that they have the inside track that it's going to get produced and that it's going to be really profitable for them. But if that doesn't happen, then I question the valuation. So again, I think it's very difficult to pick names based on the vaccine. Um, for other fundamental reasons, sure. But a company like Pfizer, it's so big, you know, does this move the needle, even if they are the company that ends up winning? So a lot of questions I would play it based on uh, the IBB and just get broad sector exposure.
3: Guy. Are you a horse racing fan, Melissa? You
2: know me. You know I'm not.
3: Yeah. In 1990, 30 years ago, a horse named Strike the Gold won the Kentucky Derby. Now you're saying to yourself, what, where is he going? That horse came from dead last to win the Kentucky Derby. The Strike the Gold of the COVID virus has not presented itself yet. There are a lot of front runners out there. I don't think any of them are going to cross the finish line. I think the company that figures it out, we haven't heard from yet. So. You can buy hopium on these names, but I think that's all you're doing. And quickly about Pfizer, although I like it on valuation, it's in a very significant downtrend from November of 2018 to current levels, completely being outperformed by a name like Eli Lilly. I think that's telling.
2: By the way, Moderna is uh, joining the Nasdaq 100, which is part of the reason behind that big pop we saw today. Coming up, shares of Disney didn't seem to get a bounce, a bounce as it opened its doors in Orlando over the weekend. We'll talk to one visitor to find out what it was actually like to be there on the ground. And later, we're we're taking your trading questions. Is now the time to take profit in Salesforce or should you double down? Tweet us what you want to know at CNBC Fast Money.
10: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com/slash find your rich.
0: Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Disney tumbling into the close today even as the House of Mouse reopened its Disney World theme park in Orlando. Thousands of people visited the park this weekend even as Florida announced over 15,000 virus cases on Sunday, the highest single day total of any state. Meanwhile, Disney closing its Hong Kong park back down amid a spike in cases there. Um, Jeff Mills, I know you've liked Disney in the past, but in terms of where it is here in the reopening, especially as it is in a state with spiking coronavirus cases. We've got New Jersey, New York uh, quarantining Florida visitors. I mean, what's the situation there?
4: Yeah, look, I think it's a stock you can buy for the long term, sort of put it in a drawer and not look at it, and you'll probably do fine. But we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I think the trade in early May is a lot different than it is now. You know, Then you had kind of the very beginnings of the reopening. You had momentum in a lot of those names, and obviously the situation is very, very different now. And I mean, who's to say that we're going to be able to keep these parks open here when they're having difficulties in other parts of the world and the virus data looks the way that it does here? I think the chart's been interesting for Disney because it was turned away precisely at its downward sloping 200-day moving average, right around 127. So. That level is down to around 125 now. So depending on the headlines, I could see the stock moving to 125. But you're going to face formidable resistance there. And even looking out past all of this. So Wells Fargo put out a note a couple of weeks ago, and they basically said, based on 2022 normalized earnings at $118, you're still trading at 23 times. So the stock is not cheap. I prefer it at 110 or a little bit lower for an entry point.
2: Guy, Bulls will say, but how about Disney Plus? Didn't you see Hamilton like five times in a row when it got released on Disney Plus? No. Yeah, I knew the answer to that. Unfortunately. I knew that. You get what what I'm saying, though. Netflix. No, no. I I, I,
3: shouldn't Disney have some of that valuation. Okay, okay. So, you know, what game? We play many games, and it infuriates our audience, I'm sure. (laughs) But we play a game called Would You Rather. And I Mm. recall back in April, I believe, when Netflix reported and the stock was i think at anywhere around 420 or thereabouts and we played would you rather netflix or disney and i remember saying netflix now it didn't look like the right call at the time but you know netflix has been extraordinary look where netflix traded up today i think it actually traded up to 575 the reversal on netflix today on more than two times normal volume scares me the bull case for disney is what's going on with netflix let's just be clear it's the fact that they're now trying to play and swim in the same pool as netflix and even if you give them a partial valuation the stock should be higher but disney is challenged in most of their business areas and one has to wonder at you know close to thirty five times next year's earnings does disney make sense and i sort of agree with jeff i think it trades lower from here into earnings on august fourth i believe
2: we were showing you video of what looked like a very very empty disney world that was the reopening on Sunday let's bring in Brooke McDonald editor-in-chief of at make it well media she's currently visiting Disney World she shot that video and was there on opening day Brooke you've been to Disney many times you were in many many articles about the Magic Kingdom so what was your take that day
10: so um, I was there on the opening day and uh, on the annual passholder preview day on the 9th as well and opening day was um, a lot there were a lot more people there the preview, but it still felt very empty, a lot of open spaces. Um, but there was, there was energy. Um, people, there were people there. They were excited to be there. Uh, all of the videos that I posted, um, it was not difficult to get those. That was, you know, I wasn't waiting for a quiet moment. Um, but there were, you know, you could find people in the right places. Um, I will say, you know, people were in the queues of rides and things like that. Um, so there, there were people there. It wasn't totally deserted, but definitely the least crowded I've ever seen the Magic Kingdom.
2: Did you feel safe going there? And I, that's a very subjective question, but I'm just wondering, you know, somebody with a family, it, they might not consider going because they might not feel safe. They may not feel it's as clean as it can be, or that it's so, as socially distanced as it could be. What, what was your sense of that?
10: So I will say I think that all of the health and safety protocols that Disney has in place are excellent. They are working um, in terms of they they are you know they're being followed. They're doing regular cleanings. There are lots of social distancing markers. I saw almost 100% mask compliance and cast members definitely stepping in and telling people to you know pull their mask up over their nose if that was an issue. now there, we've seen a lot of on um, social media and there have been a lot of photos of certain situations that I did see in the park where there were closer crowds. And, um, that would have been a situation where I maybe would not have felt safe, but there is so much open space in the park that I think that anyone who was being very aware of what might be a higher risk situation could easily remove themselves from that. So in terms of, you know, the protocols that Disney has put in place, I think they're there and I think they work, but. The guests also play a role in this. Um, And so I think Disney is kind of going to have to watch and see how to, you know, how and where they're going to need to step in and address those issues where there is a little, you know, where there is more of a crowd gathering because it starts raining or, you know, for whatever reason.
2: Brooke, thank you so much for sharing your uh, experience with us. We appreciate it, Brooke McDonald, a visitor at Disney World and a writer as well. Um, you know, the thing about Disney is that you got to get there somehow, Bono. <laughs> it's not just being in Disney. you got to either fly to it or drive to it or, or whatnot. And so there's, there's friction also to going there. And so, you know, what's your take on, on whether or not, even if the reopening goes as planned, um, if Disney is a buy because of this reopening that we're seeing at Disney?
1: Well, I, I, mentioned this, I mentioned a lot of these points that you've alluded to um, on Friday. And listen, I'm going to decompose some of the previous arguments and, and kind of look at them from a, a different point of view. And listen, I, I understand the Disney Plus argument. I understand the DTC argument. And those are reasons why it's why we're going to justify them having a more robust multiple. But let's make no bones about it. Disney makes a third of their revenues from the parks. Unless we can get to those parks, I don't see the stock rallying aggressively. All
2: right, coming up. Casino stocks hitting the jackpot today. We'll tell you why investors are going all in on this space. Plus, Delta facing some turbulence ahead of earnings results tomorrow. We'll tell you why options traders are betting on more rough skies ahead. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of MGM trading higher today as a casino operator reopens its Massachusetts location. Contessa Brewer has all the details. Contessa
0: Wynn, Penn and MGM have reopened their Massachusetts casinos among some of the strictest and most detailed regulations in the nation. For social distancing, several slot machines in a row are turned off, plexiglass shields must be six feet high and capacity is capped at 25 percent. It remains to be seen if that's enough to turn a profit. But MGM and Wynn also got good news today affecting their Macau properties neighboring Guangdong province will lift its 14-day mandatory quarantine for those returning from Macau, who test negative for COVID. It means that Chinese gamblers can now visit for a day or for a weekend without losing two weeks upon return. And this may signal the easing of other tourist and border restrictions. That's good news for MGM, which gets about a quarter of its revenue from there. It's a bigger boost for Sands, Wynn, and Hong Kong-based Melco Resorts. But whether it's Macau, Las Vegas or Springfield, Massachusetts, coronavirus is still the crucial factory in these casinos recovery. Melissa? Contessa,
2: thanks. Contessa Brewer in Springfield, Mass. for us tonight. Guy Adami, um, how's that windicator going? It's really catching, catching on, well, that windicator. indicator.
3: Again, I want to point out that I wish it was my creation, but it was our amazing crack staff in Englewood Cliffs that came up with it. geniuses that they are. <laughs> and, and if you're bullish on the broader market, you hope the windicator is going to work again because obviously you had a huge move on win on the back of the news Contessa just talked about. Now, we had spoken about trading win against the long side, $70. $70 made a lot of sense. It was a 50% retracement of that trough low in March. And the recent highs, so that intuitively made sense, and it's working. But now you're saying maybe too far, too fast. MGM sets up similarly, as $15 is sort of the 50% retracement of the exact same time frame. So, although I think WIN has moved a little excessive on this news, I think MGM uh, gives you the best beta to the upside if you're looking to foray into the casinos.
2: Brian Kelly. His shot may be down, but he's on the phone for us. So, Brian, what do you like in this casino trade?
3: Yeah,
5: sorry. I was actually on a heater at the craps table, so I had to uh, <laughs> just take a second there. Um, no, I, you know, I, I agree. Listen, you want to be in China if it comes to this, right? So we've already seen what happened in Vegas. They have reopened. There was a huge surge of people coming in. But now several, several of the casinos aren't even taking weekday reservations anymore for their hotel rooms because there just isn't demand. So we're seeing 25 percent occupancy in Springfield, Massachusetts. I suspect it'll be at 25 percent for quite a period of time. So what do you got to do? You've got to look to see where things are really reopening. And that is China. Wynn's had quite a move. I think I agree with Guy Adami. I'd probably want to, if I had a switch, I'd go from Wynn into MGM. All
2: right. Coming up, airlines taking a hit in today's volatile session. Options traders are betting on more turbulent skies ahead. We'll explain. Plus, the day trading boom may not be happening for the reasons you think. We've got new data on why so many investors are diving into the market these days. Those details with Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Airlines getting caught up in today's big market reversal. And over in the options market, traders are betting that the turbulence could get worse when Delta reports tomorrow morning. Bono, in, break it down for us. What did you see today?
1: Absolutely. So taking a look at the option volume, calls outweighed puts about two times to one after being about evenly distributed throughout the early part of the session. Uh, that's more in line with what we've seen over the course of the week. Taking a look at the weekly at-the-money straddle options are implying about a 7.5% move in either direction between now and Friday. I'd like to juxtapose that to the 2% or 2.25% move that the stock moves after earnings on average of the last four quarters. So traders are expecting, as you said, quite a volatile move here. And the trade that really stuck out to me was the July 17th weekly 26-27 strangle. That traded about 14,000 times. And a trader seemingly was opportunistically offering this in size, So he, won, collected option premium on the bid ask and additionally collected $2.35 there. That um, is pretty much going to put your break even on the upside about 7 percent higher and on the downside about 14 percent lower. So, again, betting that the stock is going to be a bit range bound, taking advantage of the uh, intensified volatility that we're seeing in options prices.
2: Jeff, do you like airlines at all?
4: Well, I, I just don't want beta to the reopening trade, and I keep talking about the correlation. But you're going to get a high correlation to that in airlines. You know, you're seeing better TSA data, for example. I think you're up six or seven hundred percent in terms of daily travelers from the bottom, but you're still seventy percent below where we were this time a year ago. So for me, that's problematic, and I think we probably will continue to recover. But the question is, where does the demand plateau? And I fear that it plateaus at a level that's still difficult for airlines. When thinking about some of the larger carriers, um, what does the exposure to business travel look like? What is the exposure to international travel and then valuation? They all have about 50 percent revenue exposure to business travel. That concerns me. But Delta does look better in terms of exposure to international travel, about 10 percent below United. And on a valuation basis, it looks better than a stock like American. So... If I'm choosing between some of the larger carriers, I do think Delta is better positioned, but I don't necessarily love the space in general.
2: All right. For more options, actions, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, you've got questions and our traders have answers. One viewer is asking about Salesforce. We'll let you know how to play the stock. Speaking of Salesforce, Jim Cramer is back. He's got a big lineup in store for all you Mad Money fans. The cloud company's CEO as well as the CEOs of Honeywell and Elvest. That is tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Much more Fast Money, straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The retail trading boom continues to grow, and we've got some surprising new data on how and why folks at home are diving into this market.
9: Kate Rooney has the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Some new research suggests that it was more about bargains than people having extra time on their hands. SoFi and Sentiment out with a study today about trading behavior in June All generational cohorts from Gen Zs to baby boomers saw depressed stock prices as a buying opportunity. That was the top response as to why stock trading increased. Next was extra money in people's pockets, followed by more awareness on the importance of investing. And fourth on the list at 34% was to replace activities that COVID restrictions have eliminated. Stimulus checks also playing a role by putting more people more money in people's pockets. More than 80 percent of those polled received government stimulus. Half of them used, quote, at least a portion of that money to buy into the stock market. Researchers also say they saw respondents who gamble or bet on sports getting into the market at a higher rate than their peers. And finally, there was an uptick on with people trading on mobile devices. Melissa.
2: All right. Thank you, Kate. Kate Rooney. And speaking of the folks at home, it's time once again to answer your burning market questions. Total Request Fast Money it was such a hit, Guy. Lots of fun, right? We got so many questions. Mm-hmm. We thought oh, we'd take t- some more. Tremendous. And our first question comes from John in Long Island.
3: Hi, guys. This is John from Long Island. My question is on uh, Salesforce. I bought her in the March lows, and it seems to have hit a resistance point at $200 a share. Do you think I should sell right now as it may not... Accelerate from here or hold or potentially buy more. Um, Love to get your thoughts. Thank you.
2: All right, John from Long Island, Uh, Jeff Mills, what do you say to him about CRM?
4: Well, look, if you bought at the lows, you're probably working on a 35 40% gain, something like that. So I think at that point in time, it's always smart to take a little bit off the table. So I would start there, John. But I'd also say the stock is holding a multi-year uptrend. It looks like it wants to break out to a new absolute high. It looks like it wants to break out to a new relative high versus the S&P. So I actually think that you can play the momentum in Salesforce, but definitely take a little bit off the table if your gains are that big.
1: Bonoin uh, i tend to agree i mean it's really not just about my view on the stock it's about what is the prudent way to go on ahead and risk manage up 35 40 percent you 100 percent need to be taking some chips off of the table um i would agree i would agree as well in terms of the long-term uptrend i would say it is pressing down a little bit towards if i remember correctly it's 50-day moving average but as long as it holds those long-term averages i would stay in with at least a portion of um, of my investment absolutely
2: all right our next question is an international one it comes from roberto all the way from south africa
1: hi guys i'm loving the show all the way from south africa i wanted to ask a question relating to gold it has run to within 150 dollars of its historical high so my question is is it time to start shorting gold and gold stocks i mean even if it was to run to 2000 there should be more downside than up right I just wanted to say thank you for having me on the show and thank you for your amazing analytics. Cheers.
2: Roberto from South Africa, Guy Adami, who knew we had fans all the way in South Africa?
3: That's that is unbelievable. You know, when back in another life, uh, one of our largest clients was the Reserve Bank of South Africa, Uh and the road, I believe, from Pretoria to Johannesburg is Route 101, and that was the code name. Anecdotal story. I know nobody cares. Shorting gold here, <laughs> to me, is a very short-term trade. I do not, although you had a huge reversal in Newmont, huge reversal in Pan American silver today, I don't think that's the right way to play it. I'm still of the belief that gold's going to continue to move higher, as is silver, and as are the mining stocks. So you can be selective if you want to try to short them. But Roberto, I stay long the commodities, specifically gold and silver, for the next six to nine months for sure.
2: Jeff, what would you tell our South African friend?
4: Yeah, I think that's probably too. And I'll, I'll comment on silver specifically as well. You know, that's put in a massive base and it looks to be breaking out to the upside. So I agree with Guy. Look, in this environment, you might be able to play it on the short side uh, for a quick trade. But overall, I just think the momentum's too strong. You have had flows that are really aggressive into gold and the gold miners. So for that reason, I think you can play it on the short side near term. But the momentum's strong. So I think looking out any further than maybe a month or so, you probably want to stay on the long side of it.
2: All right. Coming up next, we have the final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Brian Kelly.
5: Uh, yeah, you know, I am going to go against our friend Roberto from South Africa and say you buy silver here and you even buy gold, too.
2: Right. Bonoin.
1: A uh, VXX, take the opportunity to invest in volatility as an asset class.
2: The general, Jeff Mills.
4: So, although I think John from Long Island should probably take some chips off the table after a massive gain, I do think you can play the momentum in Salesforce. I would ride that CRM.
3: Guy Dami. First of all, this was a first lineup. The four of us have never been together on CNBC's Fast Money in 13 and a half years. I want to point that out, number one. (laughs) Number two... I know Jeff Mills' mother-in-law is an avid viewer, specifically when her son-in-law is on, and I encourage her to send in a question via text or via video, if, if she's so inclined. And number three, I thought Contessa did a wonderful job. I think MGM sets up decently for a trade to the long side, Melissa Lee.
2: All right. Thanks for watching Fast. Everybody see you back here tomorrow. Jim's back, so Mad Money starts right now.